Thanks for listening to this podcast. We're calling on your help to make your listening experience the best imaginable. All you need to do is take a short survey. Visit acast.com slash research. That's A-C-A-S-T dot com slash research. Your opinion matters. Welcome to another episode of the official podcast of the Unsexy Startup with your host, Samai Parikh. This is the platform that unites founders and talks about what it truly takes to build a company, not just the highlights. And a huge thanks to Raj Singh for helping me put this podcast together. If this is your first time listening, the Unsexy Startup was creating for current and aspiring entrepreneurs. We focus on sharing stories of successful founders and how they overcame the growing and unsexy pains of an early stage company. The bigger goal is to install our audience with more resilience and grit. On this episode, we have founder and CEO of Heartbeat, Brian Freeman. Brian will talk about the topic of bootstrapping and forcing creativity, especially when there is a lack of funding. Heartbeat is a rapidly growing platform created for millennial women. The platform's purpose is to reward women for being their authentic selves on social media. Heartbeat partners with major brands who in return pay women for being an ambassador and promoting those brands they truly love on social media. With thousands of millennial women joining the platform every month, Heartbeat continues to have an amazing trajectory. Brian, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your stories and your strategies with our audience. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Mai. So let's jump right into the questions, Brian. When we first spoke, you had an interesting story. Sounded like it almost came out of a movie. Uh, Run us through that transition into starting Heartbeat and the story behind it. For sure. Happy to. So the thing that's really interesting about Heartbeat is it's actually a pivot from a previous company that I had founded called Wildfire. That company was started back in 2013. It was actually the first female-focused dating product. Uh, the whole shtick there was that the girls invite the guys. So back in 2013 and 2014, dating apps were prohibited from marketing on Facebook, which was the kind of go-to app install kind of growth channel for applications. So we had to get creative about how we were going to build our network. And we did pretty well in the press, but the main way that we grew was through college rollouts. So we would go on college campuses and I was a little too old to do the presentations myself. So we would dress up good looking, like young college aged guys and we'd hand out roses, we'd hand out cupcakes, um, swag and get young sorority women really excited about a new product that was focused on them. So we could, we've basically discovered that we generated a number of social media posts, something about 150 Instagram posts would create this viral experience on college campuses. We'd end up with 10, 15, sometimes 20,000 downloads. So if you empower young women to promote something that they feel comfortable promoting on their personal channels, you get these incredible viral results. And that was essentially how we were pitching Harvey to venture capital. By the time 2015 rolled around, there was a new player in the space, Bumble, that had essentially sucked all the air out of the room of female-focused online dating as far as we were concerned. We, we were just the second-tier player, couldn't keep up, a fantastic founder and an amazing brand. So the company started running out of money and things started getting super, super dicey. Um, over that summer, the, the company completely went insolvent. The other founders essentially abandoned the plot, uh, abandoned the project. And I was kind of left holding the bag of, okay, what the heck are we going to do? I guess we'll dive into this a little bit more, but, um, it was a tough summer. 
And I had come up with another concept uh, that we were calling the Snapchat for dating, and we had named that Heartbeat. So it was a video-based um, dating product that incorporated those kind of short-form video to help people connect with each other. We created a commercial, and we were hoping to close uh, a new investment partner over that summer. That took a lot longer than we thought it would take, but we were able to get a little bit of capital to roll that project out. The bottom line is that no one was interested in investing additionally into another dating product. That that whole market had essentially dried up by Q4 of 2015. So while we were working on trying to find a way to build this application, we had a little bit of capital from that initial investor too, or that investor of the summer to build this thing out. We were recruiting people through that through Instagram to try and replicate that sorority style engagement. So that when we launched this product, we would have that viral access. So we had built a MailChimp list. I had built a Squarespace page for capturing these emails. And we were essentially creating our own ambassador team of college-age women through Instagram marketing. My girlfriend and I were building our Instagram account by following and unfollowing hundreds and hundreds of people a day. And I really got to give my girlfriend credit there because she's the one who was really kind of, you know, getting her fingers bloody doing that all day long. We were essentially able to get about 2,500 people signed up to promote this app by around November. But the company had run out of capital again, and we were kind of dead in the water. So um, while we had this excited team ready to promote this app that didn't exist, really didn't have any app future, and uh, it was a dire strait. So I was on the phone with one of my friends who had graduated the Techstar Chicago program, and just kind of talking through the war stories of being an entrepreneur, thinking about another project potentially. And she was like, wait, 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 you have 2,500 people signed up to promote your application. No application. Would these people promote something else? Would they promote other businesses? And I said, you know, I, I just don't know. Um, she's like, well, let me see what I can do. Let me see if I can get some companies interested. And, you know, then we can work from there for a Christmas style push. And she sent out an email to some of her Techstars founders, and that went viral. The, over the next week, we had something like 50 businesses who had written into us talking about how they wanted to rent our 2,500-person ambassador team to promote their business on Instagram. And this was really the turning point for the business. This was this kind of fantastic moment for us. We were like, holy moly, we have something. And we ended up making somewhere around $25,000 over the next month and a half, which was about you know 2,500 times more money than we had ever made in the previous two years with the dating product. That, that was really something special. So at that point, we knew we had something new. We decided to pivot the business completely to a focus on building an ambassador marketing platform for brands because there's obvious demand and then building out that you know ambassador team. So that is essentially the, the kind of long story of how this thing got going. And so would you say from bootstrapping before that initial uh, fundraising for the new idea for Heartbeat, do you think that was your sexiest moment when you received that big order for, for uh, like wanting thousands of women to promote that specific brand overnight? Did you even expect that? No, we had no idea that this was going to be interesting to anyone. I was looking at two other projects and kind of going to take December off and, you know, kind of move back in with my parents as a 30-year-old guy 
try and figure out what the heck to do with my life. But so when the email started rolling in of, yes, 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 let's do this. Can, when can you get on a call? Can you get on a call today to talk about this? That was one of our sexiest moments as a business, hands down, because we went from despair to, you know, eureka slash hope. Um, th- that was really kind of a, a watershed moment for us. And how did that, uh, how did that feel emotionally? Right. Cause like you're, like you said, you're 30, you were worried, like, what am I going to do? I'm, uh, it's like, it was kind of like the walk of defeat, you know, saying like, oh, I may have to move back into my parents' house. And we <laughs> I think we've all thought of that at one point, right? And not yeah. giving up, building that resilience. How does it feel looking back at it now? How much confidence has that installed in you? I think what it's done is it's given me a different type of stress management when things get tough. And I think that that's something that is really unique and you only get from being at literally just the the end of your rope. And that means what what I mean by that is every time you get to that place again as an entrepreneur or you get to somewhere that feels really tough, you just handle it differently. So having gone through that, and the thing is that there were multiple moments through throughout that entrepreneurial journey with that first business and sure with Heartbeat as well, but particularly with the company before Wildfire, that you're just faced with extreme challenge. You're like, how the heck are we going to get through this? And then somehow you come out the other side, either through serendipity or through just you do you put more work into something than you knew you could. And you get some type of positive movement. Um, Once you get on the other side of that, it just teaches you that you're capable of doing something you couldn't imagine having been able to do before. And so there is confidence there. But, you know, I'm not delusional. You, You know, there are things that you can't overcome. And that's when you call on team members or you call on external help or mentors, et cetera, to try and help overcome those things. But you can do it. I think that that's the thing that it really can take away is you realize you're capable of so much more than you think you are once you get through some of these extremely difficult moments. Let's dive into more of those difficult moments and switch to the darker side of things. Uh, What was your unsexiest moment with Heartbeat? Let's bring up a story when you were completely bootstrapping and uh, back against the wall. I'm talking about anything from moving office spaces to, um, you know, this is this is after the complete pivot as well. Even even as you're getting fundraising, what do you feel was the unsexiest? So I think the unsexiest moment was that summer of 2015. Is that something that we can touch on? Absolutely. So uh, this was tough. This was a very tough time. So um, I was working from my house, of course, in San Diego, and I had actually gotten down to my last rent payment on my personal like checking account type thing. I had completely liquidated my 401k. I completely liquidated all of my savings. I was at literally the end of my rope. The company's account was overdrawn. We were literally red negative. And um, I had creditors calling me back to back. And I got audited by the IRS for some multi-year back type situation, which ended up being fine, but it was just an extreme stressor all at the exact same time. Now, what made this 10x was the house, for some reason, got no breeze. And it was always like 85 to 90 degrees inside. It was just unbearable. And I was working in there all day, just sweat dripping down while I was negotiating this this investment with this investor. But he was traveling all around 
and, you know, not seeing things from my same perspective. So keeping your sanity in that environment was really difficult. I think the ultimate bottom of the barrel for me was that a sewage line broke that summer at like this exact same kind of week. And it was one of those things where like bad things comes and come in threes. And I was on my hands and knees cleaning sewage up while on a conference call with this investor trying to convince him to invest in this company with negative balances all around me and this like IRS thing coming in. That for sure was like one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Hands down. That's unreal. And, and, <laughs> and the thing is, you're taking this call, you're cleaning sewage up, this heat stroke as well. I mean, what do you feel is going through all of this, right? You're not new to it. Actually, your brain's more conditioned to go through building more grit now, and you have a lot more resilience. What do you feel is the magic of having your back against the wall? What do you think it brought out of you to keep this company going? What's really magical about these type of horrible experiences is it drives just a new type of creativity. And it's kind of like, you know, you think about the, you know, that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio where he's like out in the forest type thing. You know, you just, if you have to survive and you've got, you just look at your resources and you see them differently than you would if you had a bunch of money in your bank account. So for us, that was looking at, okay, we had 2,500 people signed up to an email list. All of a sudden that became this like 10x monetizable resource because we had nothing else to work with. If I had an extra three or $400,000 in the bank at the time, I probably would have built a dating app and failed completely on that. And another thing is we, we had very little capital. So we actually ended up renting this kind of really crummy house. This is for Heartbeat that had all types of electrical issues and you couldn't run the microwave and the printer at the same time. And that's the kind of thing that was $2,500 a, a month in rent, which is a steal in Los Angeles. And we could build a team there. We should got a, our team up to 10 people with heartbeat out of that place. You would never look at a place like that and go, yeah, that's a place you can run a business out of. If you hadn't been through cleaning sewage up on your hands and knees or some alternate version of that type of scenario, you just look at dollars and you see $1 and you go, what kind of output can I get out of that single dollar? Can I get $10 out of that? And if you, if you start with more capital or you start with more resources, you just don't look at your resources in the same way. And I think bootstrapping gets you into this mindset of you look at every single thing that you spend and you see what is the kind of monetary output I can get from that spend. And that is just different, I think, than when you have a, a more capital to work from the beginning. And why do you feel... Why do you feel founders should rely on creativity and forcing themselves to figure it out compared to always seeking fundraising? Of course, raising capital is important, especially when you want to scale. But why is it that so many so many people are are like funding first, funding first instead of the actual traction of it, the actual sales of it, the the you know building a better P and L? Why is it always the fundraising first? Why not creativity? Why should they Why should they rely on that first? Well, I think the reason you want to look at creativity and generating measurable traction first, the, the most obvious reason is dilution. I mean, the, you keep more of your company, you keep, you're more in control. But outside of that, it's one of your competitive advantages. Because if you've got this grit mentality, that's something that is actually pretty rare. 
the fact that you're going to creatively look at problem solving um, is your almost like your competitive advantage moat that you can dig around your business. At least that's the way that we look at it at Heartbeat. We know that we'll go the extra mile. We know that we'll think, you know, very dynamically about problem solving. And that just comes from the ingrained culture. So I think, um, you know, I think if you're just creatively problem solving, if you're thinking about bootstrapping instead of raising money from the get go, it just, it just gets into your psyche a different way of solving problems because it's so easy to throw money at things and, and generate an actual result. I mean, the fact is having capital is easier than doing bootstrapping. You can pay for Facebook ads and generate new user growth. I mean, that is something that Facebook has made really simple. But what happens if you max out the Facebook ad tool? Have you thought about things like viral marketing or how you're going to generate a really strong referral program or using game mechanics? All that kind of stuff came out of, for Heartbeat, came out of the fact that we never had capital to play with. So we had to think about, okay, how do we stretch a dollar take a user and turn that into two to three users, things like that. So it's hard to pinpoint, but it, it actually gives you a competitive advantage to be a really strong bootstrappy type in, uh, entrepreneur. And do you feel, I, I was thinking of this as you were talking, but do you feel that it's a lot more important to get that boot, that creativity skill while you're bootstrapped first, like laying that foundation out. And then when you get funding, it's like all your results when you have funding, like the viral market, as you were saying, for example, all that 10x is because you use all the tactics you created and the work ethic you had when you had nothing. And now it just 100x itself once you have all the funding. Exactly. Because you're putting it into those programs and those techniques that you've developed while you didn't have capital. And capital helps you magnify those results instead of being the thing that you're learning with. I think that that's one of the key differences that being a super lean entrepreneur really teaches you is that you don't learning on the job is okay. But ideally, when you have capital, you want to be magnification of results, not just the the way that you're kind of trial and error. You don't want to be doing that with a lot of dollars. What is some what are some clear and actionable insights our listeners can take in when they feel that they're not getting any funding or that they're not getting any traction for their company um, that can they can use to boost their creativity and keep grinding through the troubles they're having now? Cool. Great question. What's tough here is that it's unique to each business, but I think a great piece of advice I once received is that you want to look at your company when things are tough and think to yourself, okay, what is going well? What's the part of this business that is coming easily to me? That actually may be the pivot that you need to make or where you need to really start driving focus to build value for your business. That is almost precisely what happened between the transition of wildfire to heartbeat. Once we started focusing on the thing that was working well for us, which was get it, we could really drive people to signing up for an email list to promote that business, we realized, wait, that's our core competency. And now we need to start driving results around that thing. Um, this is something they teach you a lot in Y Combinator. Get really good at one metric. And then the rest can kind of start to fill in around that. You need to look at where is the soft underbelly of my business. I think that something that can get really tempting for entrepreneurs is you get obsessed with your own idea. But one of the things that's really hard is that you're pitching it all day long to investors, to your team, to yourself, to your friends and family, to your husband, wife, or girlfriend, or boyfriend. So you're obsessed with this one core concept. 
But so you have to get really dynamic at the way you're looking at yourself and the way you're looking at your business and looking for the like, okay, maybe that thing that I'm saying all day long is, is untrue. Or maybe that isn't the direction if you're struggling to drive traction there. You just got to look and find out where is, where are we driving traction and where can we invest a little more resources and show some growth there. And that might be the thing that you need to focus on. And Brian, I have a founder's question. I ask everybody that hops on the podcast, um, what is some advice you would give your younger self six ago, six years ago uh, from what you know and now and why? So this is a really interesting question because it, it really kind of is existential almost in nature. But for me, I tell myself to do my homework, um, both on who I was working with and what the market was like for the project I was getting into. I think they say all entrepreneurs are optimists, which is great. But I know for myself, I've jumped into projects in the past where I had you know, very little understanding about who my partners really were or the economic environment that I was getting into, especially for the dating project. And I think that that shows in your execution. So learning on the job is okay, but really knowing your market, understanding the opportunity and being kind of an expert in what it is you're going after, um, in my opinion, is a major prerequisite to success. Uh, that lesson as a, as a younger version of myself, I think I learned the hard way. You said that for other ventures that you were about to get into or that work that you've worked with in the past, um, you didn't have a, you didn't have the right understanding of it or you weren't, uh, purposeful or excited about it. Uh, and, how did you know? Is it a gut feeling? What is the difference you can tell? Because all startups can be challenging, but what's that core difference you can really see? So something that's true for me is I have loved the idea of running a team and being an entrepreneur since I was a, like a very small kid. I built a website off of pirated Adobe software as an 11-year-old kid using like AOL Instant Messenger and then had a 300 person clan for like a video game. So I love the idea of managing people, but you've got to kind of check yourself sometimes because the corporate grind can sometimes wear you down so much that this is for sure true for me, that I was like, anything is better than this. And so when the first kind of opportunity showed itself to me um, as a, as a young entrepreneur, and this is about seven or eight years ago, I kind of convinced myself it was a good idea without really understanding the market I was getting into and just left that job. And as a result, paid a high emotional cost uh, and also financial personally when that project didn't work out and the team ended up splitting up about seven or eight months later and it just kind of went nowhere. That was avoidable. And the way that you avoid that kind of um, issue is by really understanding the market that you're getting into. Are you an expert in it? Is this something not just that you experienced and you had a random app idea with a Lyft driver and it was a fun conversation and you go home and write it down? More like, is this a pain point I'm experiencing continually? Is this something that I'm going to be stoked on three years from now? Is this something I've been thinking about for a really long time and I have personal experience with it? And and um, is is this something where I know I have a network that I can access for more information and help me grow it? specifically in this industry, market segment, etc. I think that all too often, it becomes easy to just want to abandon whatever your nine to five is, because it's not fulfilling. 
and you're not getting into something that actually you really understand, or you're get, not getting into it with somebody who you think you can work with long term. Brian, thanks for the advice, and uh, thanks for hopping on the show, my man. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Go Moment and Quick Venture Capital, for helping me put this podcast together. Again, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a current entrepreneur, this podcast is for you. Please like and subscribe and share with your friends if you think this is worthy. And this is Samai Parikh signing off and see you on another ex- other episode. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Go Moment, and a huge thank you to Quake Venture Capital for helping me put this podcast together. Again, if you're an aspiring or current entrepreneur, this is the podcast for you. All I ask is to subscribe, leave a comment on some founders you feel we should interview, or some unsexy topics we can talk about. Again, your word is important to make this podcast better. The Unsexy Startup is about making this a group effort. For any of our millennial listeners that are females, I'll provide a link for Heartbeat in the description below. And until next episode, this is Samai Parikh signing out.